0: OK, everyone, um, I'm here with Shannon Harvey, um, an industry expert in the use of technology in all forms of technology for the world of virtual events. Shannon will give you a, a quick, sort of quick preview of who he is and what he's done and what he's currently doing now. And this will be one of two sessions that we're going to be looking at from a teaching and learning point of view in terms of how the technology can be used for teaching and also inspiring young minds to go into the world of events, but from a virtual background, and then looking at it later on in terms of how it then translate for major events and events that he's been working on all over the world. Um, so t- the title of today is looking at technology as, as an inspiration for virtual events. So I'll hand you over now to Shannon to introduce himself, and then we'll have a sort of, a, a, sort of half an hour discussion on this topic area. So Shannon, to you.
1: Hi, uh, well, thank you for having me, Paul. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, my name Shannon Harvey, and uh, I'm, uh, I guess you'd say I'm a freelance uh, academic and researcher uh, working in the space of live events and um, visual displays, visual uh, creations, and that's really shifted over towards extended reality and uh, and virtual production um, since the pandemic, really. Um, so a bit of my background, um, I uh, actually started off as a performer um, doing opera and circus and um, have a degree in directing um, from Carnegie Mellon University in the US uh, so I studied um, theatrical directing technical directing and um, and vocal music were, were kind of my areas there. Um, I also have a master's degree in entertainment technology and that kind of is really the journey of where I've, uh, where I've started to get to where I am now, uh, which was that my masters looked at using video game technology and the convergence with live performance, theater, and live events. So um, since about 2006, my, my main focus has been around uh, the visualization and the use of video game uh, platforms, video game technology, 3D worlds, um, in incorporating that into live events design and uh, and the production process around live shows. Um, so over the last number of years, I've worked with uh, worked for manufacturers, people like uh, Philips and, um, and Disguise, um, as usually as a technical sales manager and a, a technical, technical sales side of things. Um, so helping customers to understand how technology is going to benefit them and why they should use certain products. Um, but I've also worked as a, as a freelance consultant and had my own businesses Um, doing large-scale events, um, a lot of corporate shows, big projection mapping events, uh, and I've pretty much been able to base myself in the UK and work all over the world. Um, I've worked from Taiwan to Kazakhstan to um, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Russia, uh, the US. I've kind of been able to build a career building different big events all over the place. So. Um that freelance career also took me into education. And um, about six years ago, I became the course leader of the live visual design and production course at Backstage Academy, um, which is located at Production Park. Um, and um, there was able to really help craft a course that would help um, be very project focused and help to bring people into the industry experience that I was very familiar with, which was very short deadline, very high risk, uh, very intense visual productions that need to be brought together very quickly and usually under very, very tight time constraints. Um, While I was working with the students, I also became the head of research at Production Park, working with Brilliant Stages. So over the last six years, it's really been a journey of both working on very, very high level um, automation and video integration for concert touring and big sets, while simultaneously bringing that experience directly back in with the students and helping them to craft projects and get them involved in work and get them experience, direct experience, working with um, um, working with those events. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so it's been really interesting to kind of go through that cycle. Um, About a year ago, I decided to leave working with them full time and I moved more into my own events and um, becoming more towards being a creative of events rather than just being a technical solutions provider. Um, And last year, I did about 15 projects on my own, uh, working with uh, with various clients uh, in lots of places. Um, And then uh, when the pandemic hit, we kind of decided to really focus our, our entire attention on extended reality. So. Um, Since May, June, uh, I've been working on the development of a LED reality capture stage uh, up in Edinburgh. um, And I've spent most of my time working on the techniques for storytelling um, and the R&D behind how you integrate uh, tracking and uh, video game technology to be able to create the modern next generation of what live events and other types of productions will be. That's a, a brief summary, if you will.
0: Thank you very much, Shannon um so what i would like to draw upon now is um first of all like you said you, as the course leader for uh, visual production and design where you really took that course and changed it and made it really industry focused and students in terms of their integrations to that course and employability was um literally off the chart uh, in terms of their skills and knowledge base so let's take it back so- Back to the point that if I'm a young person or a person looking at the industry today and thinking to myself, OK, I need to put on an event, but it's I'm in COVID, I'm going through this global pandemic, uh, clients and event organisers, attendees are looking at different ways in which they can engage with their customers and their audience, and they're thinking, how can this technology really inspire me for a certain type of event? So what I would like you to sort of try and overlay now is the way in which a particular type of technology without going to all the different types could be utilized for a client based event for uh, for and from a, uh, a young person or a person looking at this as a way to continue within the industry and i'm presently in a green room as you can see from the backdrop which can be used as is used in uh, particularly motion films uh, major yep. films in that sense even though the room is not that big but um if if you want to talk about the green screen room as, as part of yeah, that sure. potential sort of um, access to the industry, then please do so.
1: Yeah, okay. Well look, there's a number of um, of different techniques that are currently available and um, and actually at the most basic level, the softwares that we've been all having to do the these uh, Zoom meetings and, uh, and and video conferences that we've been doing, there's actually some really creative applications that people have done just using those tool- techniques and those tools because things like AI-driven um, background replacement, which you don't even need necessarily to have a green room to be able to have a certain level of success in being able to have a good result, will allow you to, uh, with, with a couple of really easy software tools, you can create presentations which combine uh, a person sitting in a room like you are with a green screen with um, a digital background that you're running from your laptop as the most kind of basic setup that you could have. And that could just be a PowerPoint presentation that you're placed in front of, or Mm -hmm. it could be as complicated as a 3D world that you're showing an experience in. Um, So that level of, uh, the kind of level of production that you can produce, is actually quite surprising. And um, it, one of the immediate things that I did with the students this year uh, was when the pandemic had, I reached out immediately to the current course leader and said, hey, we need to shift all their projects to be virtual. Like they, they had a number of client facing external projects that they were supposed to deliver in April and May that were gonna be physical events and we had to had to go to the students very, very quickly, and they had to present to their potential clients that one, they were gonna have to cancel the event, but actually, if they they didn't have to cancel the event because they might be able to do something virtually. Um, And they used some free tools. Um, They used, basically, a lot of the tools that were, software tools were made actually available to students and to young professionals for free at the outbreak of the pandemic specifically because the software manufacturers realize that if they put these tools into people's hands, that it would help to stimulate the, the market. So uh, Disguise, which is one of the main tools I use, um, has been made free up until October. So students can actually download that and actually be working with it now. And it October it's, this year? Yeah, it's through October now. So there's another month of it being basically free, and you get a license to be able to use the, the, the software. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a tool for basically taking a 3D, making a 3D world, but you can bring live video into that. So we were creating, um, using a Blender or Maya to basically make a 3D stage, make a 3D set. You could use something even as simple as something like SketchUp to make a 3D set, bring that model into D3 and then run video on screens within that environment and make like uh, a 3D PowerPoint presentation, but also have the person who was sitting in the green screen brought in and actually sitting on a 3D stage within that environment. And we were able to help them switch and be able to run a fully virtual event and push that out um, in weeks. It was, it was very, very quick to be able to shift that over. Um, and there's other tools, uh, you know, Unreal, Unity. They're completely free. It's free to download Unreal and, and Unity to be able to start working with 3D. And, and I highly recommend anyone in, in who is anyone who's in events at all even if you're a project manager or anything if you can learn the basics of working in 3D it will help your entire planning process not only for virtual events but for the physical planning of how physical events are going to be able to happen you know when when somebody says to me i've got i've got this festival i want to do and it's in this location the first thing I do is go on on Google Earth and I get a, a, a screenshot from the satellite photo and I put that into a 3D program and I start putting basic shapes so that I can figure out scale so I can figure out where tech needs to go so I can figure out how it's all going to be laid out and knowing how to do that gives you so much freedom once you start that process and it's something that I think all students involved in any type of event ever should be it should be mandatory that they learn some basic CAD in 3D. Um, right. right. That's, okay. that's a that's a perspective.
0: Yes, that, that that that's some really good information. Now you mentioned about three or four different, like you said, free to download software. Mm-hmm. So i'm a student now and like you said you you, those students were able to grasp that technology within three to four weeks or less they were able to learn that that technology and then continue with their project so of those three to four different softwares which one would you say was the most um let's say user friendly if i'm coming to this at the first time where i've never used this type of technology because i know your students are very much tech driven yeah and and some people within the events industry may not be too savvy with it and may find it a bit daunting. So yeah, as, an sure. introduc- as an introduction, what would you rec- which one would you recommend?
1: Well, um, <laughs> at the moment, based on where the industry is going, I think there's really just two things, two two softwares that I would recommend getting into. And actually, it's because of their accessibility rather than necessarily their ease of use or well, I think ease of use to, to do basic modeling and, and understand basic 3D workflows, any modeling software, you can pick that up pretty quick. Um, there's tons of tutorials, there's courses, there's, there's all sorts of information out there. Um, but the two softwares right now that if I was a student and I wanted to tap into it, uh, I would be looking at Blender and I would be looking at Unreal. Um, and, and the reason is uh, quite Blender is completely free. It's an open source project. And it's as powerful as some of the main um, products like Maya and 3ds Max, the the, the kind of mainstay um, 3D modeling packages that are are used for big big animation work. Um, but Blender is as powerful, and it's completely free, and so that's a, a really good incentive. Whereas Maya can cost hundreds, if not thousands, a year to to use. It's incredibly powerful, but it's an industry focused
0: tool. Um, and do you need particular um, computers, computer uh, software to r- run that program? In terms of um, the, 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 I know the type of computers that you have, yeah. but they've got they've got the memory and the, background, <coughs> I mean, the virtual memory to, yeah. to carry those big, big software programs. Wouldn't every yeah. student with a laptop absolutely be able to download one of those programs? And yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Any you're
1: you're going to find performance limitations. Obviously, the the you the, the the faster the the more high quality, the more photorealistic you want an experience to run, the higher the performance value, but the other thing is that the the generations that we're having of of graphics cards, that that's really where all of this is coming about is that graphics cards technology, particularly the work that Nvidia has done, but AMD is playing some catch up now too. But it has really revolutionized the quality and the speed at which the the graphics can be produced and and the realism that we get from that and the tools the software tools like like unreal are able to take advantage of the latest in the it's, it's actually in the digital technology. It's, it's, it's the architecture for how graphics are made. That's where the advances are coming. And yeah. those softwares are able to take advantage of the latest generation. But even two generations back, the quality of what was going on was already approaching where it is. So even if you've got a laptop that's two, three years old right now, you probably have graphics cards that are capable on your laptop of doing most basic things and the other thing is if anybody who's anybody who's on your course who's also into video games which quite a few people are may yeah. actually have something sitting in their machine that is that is faster than what a lot of professionals are using right because they're they're really interested in that in that other side and it's this convergence thing i think the, you know, One of the things that I can mention to students generally about thinking about how you can get creative about creating good events mm-hmm. is to think about where the overlaps and the convergence are, right? So right now you're having to think about a live TV broadcast, video game technology, and whatever your event was just to be able to put on an event within the pandemic. So you're already converging three major sets of disciplines between putting on the show. Put, creating the digital environment and filming it and capturing it and making that a live broadcast. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's already that. And then if you want to bring in lighting, you want to bring in um, you know, there, there's all sorts of techniques and it's understanding how those pieces kind of how, how those integrations and how those uh, those overlaps in in technology are going to find it's it's actually where those where they overlap. That's where the really good shows are going to come out is where where the overlap is really, uh, it's not too much of one or too much of the other. It's it's the yes. convergence of those two things. You've just right. lost light. You've
0: got to keep moving. Yes. <laughs> one, one, one second. I'll just um, get, get the, the light back in this room. It's probably motion sensors. It's a good so, special effect. We, we lost you for a second. Yeah. So, so let me just <laughs> extend on extend on that point while I, just, sure. I get the light back in the room. Um, in regards to the point you made about overlaps, because with any formal technology, people always scream and shout and say, well, it's going to fail. And if it's going to mm-hmm. fail, how do I rectify this? Uh, so, yeah, so where would you sort of say are the potential failure, po- failure points in the overlaps which you just made reference to?
1: Oh, they're all over the place. I mean, um, one of the main, so when, I'm, when I was writing the course for uh, for Backstage, one of the key components that I would always describe to people was that every show, every production, has three kind of may areas that you're gonna be working on, right? There's the creative side, there's the technical side and the production side. And the production side is all about mitigating the timeline to make sure that you can deliver on all the technical and the creative to get the show happen. The technical is basically trying to mitigate all of the risks for production that there's gonna have a failure to, and you're not gonna be able to meet the creative aspirations, right? Everybody's gotta work with everybody else but the points of failure that come in have to be thought about in the technical planning. So, you know, if you're doing a massive show that's gonna be, you know, one of my favorite case examples with students is always Buckingham Palace, right? So they projection mapped on Buckingham Palace for the Diamond Jubilee. You know, it's 60, it's, uh, it's six stacks of six. So 36 projectors were used to be able to do that. But those projectors were actually broken up so that if any single projector failed, the same projector on every single tower of six would go off. So they had a, a fail safe that if a projector blew, they would automatically make all the brightness equal within a second. If uh, a media server failed, there was going to be a backup computer. If a matrix failed, that was how the video was being routed. There was a second back matrix. It was all set up with full redundancy in mind. So. Planning for the resilience is something that's really important, but that planning for resilience basically comes down to a couple of things. One is the time frame of the project. You know, if if the if the um, if the animation on the Seven Dwarves at Disney World in the Snow White ride, if the if the automation has an issue and it doesn't open, does it make the show stop, or does it mean that they can't like pause the ride for half an hour, fix that thing? And people will just wait for that like there's a different level of like service agreement about Mm -hmm. what kind of redundancy need to have does it need to be fixed today does it need to does it need to switch in a second or does it need to switch in a day or does it need you know if if it if it's two weeks from now is that okay those are all things that we have to consider in our redundancy planning Mm -hmm. um but if you're planning for this these types of events and you're thinking about okay we're it's this integration and this integration you know, it might be like the the classic is either the power's been pulled or the network cable's been unplugged, right? So there's there's an air gap in one of our cable lines. That's mm-hmm. the most classic thing that we see in events, right? So it's planning for that, it's testing for that, and if you're going to do an event, you can't make it just be something that you you fly, you know, like like you showed with the lights going off, right? You, yes. you have to, you, you have to be able to go. What's the contingency that we're going to have in yes. this broadcast if suddenly. You know, I, I'm, I've got a kitten that's running around at the moment. I'm just waiting for the moment where she's going to attack my head live on camera. And it's you know, it's like, I, I have to plan for that contingency, right? You have to yeah. think about that. So I think, yeah, definitely. Um, well, another thing that's really important that I think is good to do with any event, whether it's virtual or not, is it's a narrative. And so what I'll do a lot in the beginning of when I'm thinking about a project is I'll I'll work backwards from the event itself and I'll plot out... The story of how we created the event, how what we had to do to get to that end result, and I'll actually write that as a guide before we even start, because so, I can so then you, review. Do you, do you that call process. that a
0: workflow? Is that what you're, yeah, you Yeah. You teach your yeah. students.
1: Yeah. So I describe that as a workflow, um, and and what I also like to do at the end of every project is hold an autopsy. Um, and so, and I'll hold that as a public thing. And so we, 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 what we used to do with the students is we, we'd give them a brief, they'd have to develop that entire workflow and they would describe the entire process, creative, technical, and production that they would need to be able to get to the end event. And they had to write that before they started making anything. Mm-hmm. And they had to get sign off on that from the client that the client understood. And it's not just the Rams. It's not. It's not just the risk assessment and how that is. That's a component of it. It's not just the schedule. That's a component of it. It's not just the budget, but that's a component. It's, but it's the narrative of starting from here, we have to do this, then we have to do this, then we have to do this. This is reliant on this. These things can run in parallel. But if this doesn't happen by this date, yeah. like sign-offs are really, you have to actually have that with the client as well, where you're saying to the client, if we don't have an agreement by this point, we can't make changes that will affect this outcome, and I think it's it's being able to have that document gives such a clarity in the event organization and planning, but down to things like who's responsible for what. It's it's that Gantt chart, linear yeah. narrative, and it's so helpful to have that discussion
0: and, and that critical path that absolutely yeah, like you said, when the failsafe. Point of the event and when you when you honestly have to pull the plug. Absolutely. And, and I think that going back to what you said, the the whole workflow, particularly within the digital media world, um, web development and um, websites and web web design, that that type of format, that type of thinking is standard. Yeah. In that respect, um, making sure that clients fully understand what is expected and when uh, when they need to make a decision. Yeah. And I think sometimes within the event industry, we. we we, when, when we do, when we have done events pre, pre COVID, we we leave a lot of a lot of gaps, a lot of space for clients to have that flexibility. And sometimes that sure. flexibility can impact us later on down the line because we're rushing and we're working over through the nights, we're working over the weekends just to get things done because we haven't worked out that the the natural time it takes to get things done. And within yeah. the well, within the virtual world, like you said, technology there's so much testing and overlay and this integration, and it needs it needs that to it needs that to be tested to make sure one that you can physically do it, obviously, and the client is fully conversant with what you want to give them and before it goes live. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, it's um, we have to manage expectations, and that goes both ways. And clear communication is the only way to be able to do that. And so for me, it's been really, for me it's all about the tools that i'm going to use to help my client to f- really understand what the process is and how it is that we're going to be delivering something and that goes from my initial presentation i have got a i've got a presentation later this afternoon for example on this massive show and the show is going to be able to is going to be a hybrid event of potentially a virtual event because we want to broadcast it out so we can use some of those techniques but it's also going to be for an actual audience in a in a stadium size or bigger kind of environment, right? So there's there's this hybrid thing that's coming about. But from the very first presentation, it's all about the site, the location, the potential, the, the, the things that we can potentially do. And, and it's grounding the client in understanding what the, what the workflow, what the work and resource impacts of making those creative decisions now, mm-hmm. as well as, and what we have time for. What is the scope that we have given their event that's next year? What can we do and what is possible? What is the possible? Is a huge question. But more importantly with this document that I start creating in the early pitch kind of phase is also about not only what's technically possible, but what's creatively possible. What, how are we trying to tell a story? What is the narrative of the journey that is this presentation that we want to make? Because whether it's a song or whether it's a corporate presentation launching a new product, or whether it's actually a film or some kind of narrative piece, There is a story. There's a journey. There's components of that that need to be thought about. So, the creative journey needs to almost happen before we can understand what the technology is. But the client has to understand what's possible and also what's possible to their potential scope. So Mm -hmm. all of that gets gets kind of pulled together. But you have to manage that communication process and expectations. And and there's you know, I, I like to say for for myself that live events and shows absolutely is, does not work in a democracy. It's not, it's not a democratic process. It's very, it's very hierarchical in how decisions are made and things flow, you know, my client's 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 client is actually whose expectations I'm trying to meet. And so often there's the flow of how those expectations and also how the politics work within a job. And yeah. it's, it's understanding those roles, those responsibilities And the clearer you can be about your communication and your workflow, your process, and describing those job intentions and the needs around how those jobs and roles are going to integrate within the team, the better you are at describing that, the better your client is going to A, respect what you're doing, not put pressures that are totally unrealistic. Because you know, what's interesting is in the live events, and and particularly when I was working for Production Park and Brilliant. You'd have clients walk in who have an unlimited amount of imagination and budget, who have brought in a designer who maybe has never worked on a live show before, but they come from some other industry or whatever. And they've come up with this idea. And and really you have to start with the conversation and go, well, one, does it defy the law of physics? Because that's often what the request would come in. And And is it possible within their budget? And those are really the only two limiting factor on some productions that I've been working on, which is I've had to have the conversation with somebody which says, unfortunately, if you do that, somebody dies. You know, Or unfortunately, if you want to do that, it's going to cost X number of millions. Yes. And unless you're willing to go, I, I can overcome problems with physics with money, potentially, mm-hmm. but right <laughs> Because often those are the types of effects that we're being asked to do. It's literally defy the laws of physics or create an illusion that's that's part of the impossible, right? It's magic, right? And
0: well, yeah, so I'm, it's an I'm, interesting balance of that. I'm glad you said that because, like I said t- today, <coughs> I took myself into the green room because it's a, it's a it's a room which a lot of people understand within virtual events and particularly within TV and TV production and film production and how that's used as a, let's say, an illusion, particularly as a backdrop and this room is built primarily for that and I, you probably have worked and I know you have, I know you have worked with students in a, in a green room environment, how do you find this particular space that I'm in and how this, a space like this can be utilized for students to, let's say, take a concept or an idea? Yeah,
1: so I haven't been in that particular room, but I can see a couple of things that are in the room already just from you moving around, right? So yeah. the first thing is that you've actually got some basic motion tracking going on in that space because there's uh, there's some Kinect cameras going on in there or not Kinect um, uh, HTC Vive. So they're also using some VR headset things, but the trackers that come with the HTC Vive and the handsets and wands can actually be used for like tracking the camera position in that room. So if you had the wand that they have for the HTC Vive that's in that room, you could actually put that on a camera. And then the as you're shooting in the room, the yeah. virtual camera would be able to move within the virtual environment. So what you're in right now and where, where virtual production is going is by, by basically doing what's called a key and fill, which is re- taking the background out and replacing and making you stand in an environment in combination with the tracking that's actually in that room right now, you can move the camera around the person and spatially the 3D world that they're inside will actually move within them. And that's that's kind of where the, the, the cheap and cheerful way to do that right now is using, uh, is using Unreal. It's a little bit complicated to set up, but it is fully possible. But you could do this with After Effects. You could technically do this with Zoom in that room. Um, you wouldn't be able to do the camera tracking, but you could set up with, in Zoom that it would do the background replacement, and you could put a, uh, you could literally have somebody hand paint a backdrop or take a photograph and put you anywhere, right? But mm-hmm. it's, it's the, the quality of that, and when you add in that tracking element, that gives you the ability to suddenly move the camera around and that's where you can get really creative with storytelling because you're no longer fixed to a single fixed location and you're able to move around that environment and that's that that is fully possible in that room it looks like
0: yeah because one of the things we saw over the lockdown is um, a lot of event organizers who obviously couldn't do festivals this this festival season were doing let's say online online festivals, but it wasn't particularly, let's say, inspiring because it was just a DJ playing music mm-hmm. and it wasn't within a setting. So what, what you could do, and just thinking on the hoof, is that you could create a festival scene as a backdrop in the green yeah. room, put your DJ in that festival backdrop and then have the camera, like you said, tracking in that room. In, in regards to that, so give it more, let's say, context and more realism, rather than a DJ so they- in a, in a in his bedroom playing music that he that he would normally have played in a festival for ninety thousand people. Let, let's yeah,
1: say. look, there's been different levels of production that have happened, and and there's been some really really good ones, um, and also it changes the business model, and I think this is this is for us really an interesting area, which is um, you know virtual events. There's been there's been a couple of virtual events that have happened since lockdown that have have, um, have fundamentally changed the way that uh, the business model for events might work forever. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the, the best case example that I can use of this was what they did for Tomorrowland. And Tomorrowland is uh, probably one of the biggest physical festivals in Europe every year, if not the world. Um, and they decided they were gonna do a virtual version of their festival, which they worked with uh, Epic, who make Unreal, uh, they worked with them to create um, they had four rooms exactly like the one that you have there, in different locations around the world: Sydney, LA, uh, Belgium, and London. I think um, there were sixty people involved in the production. But what they were able to do is to actually f- film DJs in a room like you're in, but embed that those images of those people and put them inside a video game like Fortnite. Mm-hmm. And so people were able to download this game run it on their own computers, and they could go to different stages within that and watch different sets that were all part of essentially a video game experience that was that event. And they charged 20 euros a ticket, and then you could get the replay for 1250. They probably made over 30 million pounds for a two-day event. So they reached an audience of millions because they weren't limited to the festival site that they had had. They were no longer limited by their audience model. So so now you go, okay, well, how does that go forward into the future? Mm-hmm. Well, now they're going to have a physical festival, but you're also going to be able to attend digitally if you want yeah. to attend that festival and you're no longer limited by that. And so their entire business model, which used to be about be building massive structures and having people all come to one tiny town in Belgium
0: mm-hmm.
1: has suddenly gone completely global and their brand reach has extended their, their bank account is not affected by, the pandemic this year if anything it was a good thing for them it yeah. gave them a year off from having to spend a lot of money physically and made them make a whole bunch of money almost overnight and so mm-hmm. being able to take an idea like a glastonbury or like a like any of these big events or even a corporate presentation where normally you would bring the press to a one one off event suddenly mm-hmm. you're able to get that distribution out and get that reach out and and that's really where we're focusing a lot with clients right now is how can they how can they go from expecting audiences to be sitting in seats to actually reaching a much broader global audience. And that's the transition, I think, that virtual events will have a mainstay after, because hybrid events, people are going to be really attracted to the money that they can make by reaching an audience of millions, potentially, for an event. They're going to be really attracted to that. And they're not going to just want to go back to getting 30,000 people in for a one-off event, right? Because they're going to go, "Mm, yeah, well, the experience needs to be really good if you're in person. But Actually, we can deliver a digital experience, which would also be really good. And so I think it's also understanding how the business model will shift how the production goes and what the expectations, that narrative that we described, if you're yes. also producing it as a virtual event, that's going to broadcast out and it's going to need the bandwidth and it's going to need to be run on servers or it's putting exactly. into a video game. All of those components become part of this workflow chain around how that event is going to be structured and what's going to be built. And, and that's... I think that's that's what's exciting going into next year
0: yeah and, and and i'm glad you touched on that because um that that's what that was what sort of angst me this summer was looking at i know this technology is available on it and i, yep. um, like I said, i've known you for a good number of years and i've and to hear that tomorrowland took that concept and pushed it very few festivals were probably approached very few festivals were unaware that how yeah. to capitalize and really like you said reach a global audience rather than the the niche audience that they would get in the field somewhere in let's say somerset yeah absolutely uh, and, and they so, they, so they've sort of literally yeah. lost out and they've and some of them have even gone bankrupt
1: yeah i think um Look, I, I'd like to think of this right now as probably the mo the, the, we've had a huge uptick in this technology in response to the pandemic. But that's happening so fast. I mean, we pivoted our business within about two and a half months to produce something within three, right? with by the end of lockdown, we were we were coming out with content and we were demonstrating that we could produce with content. But we had to make a bubble of ourselves and we had to work really hard under really challenging conditions to be able to make that happen and a lot of people are furloughed they're not actually allowed to work for their company while they're on furlough or a lot of people were basically so in shock and we went through such a mourning period in march and april and actually actually that's what it was as a global society we were depressed we were we were we were all in shock over how suddenly The world of events had shifted. We weren't ready for that that epoch change that had actually occurred. Time
0: shift that they like to talk about. Absolutely,
1: but it was a psychological barrier. And Mm -hmm. I'm finding now six you know six months out, there are still companies who are just now realizing, or they're taking people off furlough, or a lot of people that are coming into the market because they're being let go because of redundancies, who haven't who haven't yet. Kind of made that immediate shift that they need to be thinking about the immediate because they've been on furlough. And throughout the entire supply chain, you know, you talked about these festivals and everything else. The problem for a lot of them was the immediate reaction was panic to go lockdown because we need to be down. But then actually ramping back up out of that or being able to do anything progressive out of that was essentially shut down. And the technology was developing at such a pace during that time that people like me who are advanced researchers were really just figuring out how to do the most advanced types of things that you're talking about, like what they did with Tomorrowland. That's really advanced stuff. That's like that's like next generation stuff that just, that mm-hmm. it should have taken them a year to develop what they did. They just threw a lot of people and time at it and made it happen. Yeah. It was It was pure grit that made that project happen. Unfortunately, a lot of clients or somewhere in the supply chain, they're relying on an agency, they're relying on uh, a creative within that supply chain, somebody's on furlough, somebody's laid off, or somebody's not, not doing shows anymore, because they've moved on to something else. And that's why you're not getting those connections. That maybe if we weren't in this pandemic period, we would have had a a better chance of those things having an impact
0: making that transition. Okay. So I'd like to sort of uh, close on today because I know you—you you are a really busy man, as you, as yeah. you clearly say. I've,
1: I've got a meeting coming up in a few minutes, unfortunately, yes. so I do need to wrap up. But so, great, so, so,
0: so, so, I would like to, to, like I said, meet you again, and we can talk about this from an industry point of view and, and explore it again in terms of how we can inspire the events industry. So, thank you very much, Shannon. Very thank much you, Paul. Appreciate for your time, and hope to see you again soon.
1: Cheers. Thank you very much, and uh, I look forward to it. Thank you.